Turn with me, please, to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. So this is what we want to say. I have a lot here, and while you're looking that up, could I just say that it has taken quite a lot to put this together because there's so many aspects to this, and it's hard to fit it into the time that's allotted to us. We take many, many nights. So if someone was to say to me, you forgot this, or you could have said that, well, it's because we hadn't time to say this and that all in one evening. And we take a long, long time to do this. I'm also conscious that I could stand on a few corns and I could uh, ruffle a few feathers. But there again, the word of God can be controversial no matter where you go, can't it? And I believe uh, with all of my heart, this is the interpretation of the word thereof. Daniel chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, and stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was caught out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. We'll stop there. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Keep your Bibles open. Let us pray. Father, we ask you this evening that you now take control, that you'll take opposing spirits, influencing thoughts, anything that would distract us or turn people away from the word of God. And that you would bind them under the sovereign name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can come freely with liberty this evening. We thank you we can come into your presence to seek your face and to worship you. And we worship you in him and through him, by him and because of him. Holy Spirit, have your way. And move from seat to seat, heart to heart, life to life. And glorify your name. We ask it for Jesus' name's sake and for his glory. Amen. Over the past year or longer, but especially over the past year, escalating to the past few months, even to the last few weeks, we have read much in the papers, we've heard on radio or seen on television, about something called the Lisbon Treaty. The Lisbon Treaty. We heard that there are 27 European countries, and out of 27 European countries, only three of them were holding back the full implementation of this treaty. These countries were the Republic of Ireland, Holland, and the Czech Republic. A referendum was held just a year ago in the Republic of Ireland, and the people unanimously voted no for the Lisbon Treaty, no to go into Europe. They said no, but in typical fashion, 
that is European Union fashion, their dictatorial style, they brought it back to the people again. And because of the world crisis that we're in, the credit crunch as people talk about, Ireland of course then went very low because it came up very high. The Celtic tiger, as it was called, became like a Celtic kitten. People were raiding dole queues down the streets. Alison and I were in Tipperary just there a few months back. And we couldn't believe, we wondered what it was. There was a little building with the people coming down the stairs along the front, standing in the pouring rain right up the street. And we found out it was a dole queue. The jobs were going, people were fearful of their homes. And so what happened was the government in the south, they, they says that without the Republic of Ireland being in the European Union, it would collapse and it would have no chance of survival at all whatsoever. And their only hope was to go back into the European Union fully by taking on the Lisbon Treaty. And so after a year or so ago when they said, no, we do not want the Lisbon Treaty, the Lisbon Treaty was thrown into the middle again. It was thrown into the mix of the situation. And a referendum was called. And that was only, what, two, three weeks ago? And of course the Republic of Ireland voted yes. Another referendum was called in Holland. The people of the Netherlands voted again. They had thrown out the Maastricht Treaty with France. France came in again, but they were left. And the people of the Netherlands were given a chance to vote again. And the referendum on the Lisbon Treaty, they said it was revamped and renewed. It was a different treaty, but it's a little tweak, a little crossing of a T and a dotting of an I. Basically, it's still the same thing. And these people voted yes again. And then the last one was the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic, they said yes. They voted recently also when they said they would accept the Lisbon Treaty. You might say for the Republic of Ireland, why would they vote again? For fear. Fear mongering put it into the hearts of the people. In fact, they thought, well, the people are stupid. They didn't understand what they were doing. Do it again. It's like you being in school and saying, that's not good enough. Must try harder. And so they voted yes. You may think that's terrible and as terrible as it is. Gordon Brown and, and Tony Blair before him promised the people of Great Britain and the United Kingdom, Northern Ireland, that we would have a referendum on the Lisbon Treaty and on Europe altogether. And they reneged and they backed off and they rushed these three countries in in the referendum as quickly as they could because the pressure was on to give the British people a chance to vote in a referendum whether to go into Europe or not. And they backed out and they reneged and they lied to the British public. And now we have no chance of getting the referendum. We're in it whether we like it or not. You may say to me this evening, what has this got to do with us? Is that not a good thing? Is, is it such a bad thing? You may say, what has it got to do with me? Politics and a church building on a Sunday evening, I thought I was coming to hear Bible prophecy. It's got everything to do with you and it's got everything to do with Bible prophecy this evening. It's got everything to do with your walk with God. It's got everything to do with the freedom and the liberty which we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got everything to do with it. So stay with me as we look through the word of God. In our reading in Daniel chapter 2, 
the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he doesn't understand the dream. And he sends, it says in chapter 2 and verse 2, for the magicians, for the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. In other words, he sends for all the soothsayers. The things you see people standing at today in Ulster, evangelical Ulster now have all different places where you can go to have your soothsaying and your palm reading. And they were here in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And he tells them to tell him what he dreamt and the interpretation thereof. Notice this. He doesn't say, this is what I have dreamt and I want you to tell me what it means. He says, if you are who you say you are, you'll know what my dream was. And if you know what my dream was, you can tell me the interpretation of my dream. And so these magicians and astrologers and soothsayers and all the, uh, uh, the, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, they say, well, we don't know. We, we don't know what you dream. Tell us. He says, no, if you're real, you'll understand. You'll know. So eventually, looking at slaughter in the face, they call for Daniel. We're told Daniel was a man with an excellent spirit. Daniel, the man who prayed three times before God, pointing his windows and opening them towards Jerusalem. And Daniel not doing anything outside of God's will. Daniel not trying to muster up or stir up some sort of, some, some sort of thing within him. Daniel says, I'll go to Jehovah and I'll ask him. Daniel goes and seeks the face of the Lord. And he comes back again to tell the king the interpretation, the dream and the interpretation of the dream. The wonderful thing that Daniel says, he says that there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. I think it's wonderful to know this evening that God reveals these things to us before they come to pass. These are all signs and wonders. These are all little signifying things, by the way, that the people without the eyes of the Spirit, who are not God and have not, went into the presence of God to find these things out. The world, in other words, can't see it. That's why they're so eager to get into Europe. I'm not saying that every person and every nation that's went into Europe are bad. Most people don't even understand these things which you're hearing tonight. Most people won't be able to grasp hold of these things that you're going to hear tonight. And even some Christians won't believe their ears what they're going to hear tonight. Daniel goes and he says, there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Do you know the most innermost part of your being, God knows it? Do you know the deepest thought in your heart, God knows it? The greatest worry and fear that you have that you can't tell anyone else, God knows about it. And he reveals secrets. Do you know the secret sins that you have that nobody else knows about? God knows about it. Daniel goes and he comes and that brings us to our reading to tell Nebuchadnezzar about this dream. I've asked our brother David Adams, uh, worked on it and he got me some pictures to show you. I don't usually do it as you know. But I thought it would help you in your mind to see as we go along. He sees an image you put the image up for me? He sees an image. And this is what he sees. He says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 32. It mentions four metals in this image. Four metals in the image. He says the image's head was of fine gold. And his breasts and arms of silver. And his belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron. His feet part of iron. 
and part of clay. Now this is very important. And you can see here the four metals. Gold, silver, brass, iron, iron and clay right down at the feet. He says there's four metals with clay in the last one. And so he goes on to talk unto the king about this. And as you see this, you can see how it's one body. In other words, there's a continuing trait right through all of this. It's one man, it's one body. Just like the church of Jesus Christ was the, it's the body of Christ. And from the first century church right through to today, we're still the same body. When you're born of the Spirit and washed in the blood, you're still in the same body as those early believers. And the traits come through. The word of God comes down. So in these other kingdoms, there will also be the trait that comes down. And so we're told here there is a gold head, there's silver, and then there's, there's brass, and then there's iron, and iron, and clay. So these are symbolic of four world empires. We'll look at that in a minute and we'll show you how we know this. This speaks of from Daniel's day. Right down to the feet. The clay and the iron is from Daniel's day. The gold to the clay and the iron which is today. And this will last until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Until Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. So here we have this, these four metals in this image. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 38. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon. He says, Thou art the head of gold. I've had to skip some scripture because, because of time's sake. He says, thou art the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, you and your kingdom represents the head of gold. In verse 39, it says, after thee shall come or arise another kingdom inferior, inferior to thee. In other words, after thee shall rise another kingdom. And it's a silver kingdom, but it's inferior to you. Then he goes on to say, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. That is the known earth. And then in verse 40, says, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as, an, as iron. Notice, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. And verse 41 he says, and whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Verse 43 says, Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with merry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Daniel says, There be one kingdom, the gold one is you. There be a silver one which will come straight after you. There will be a brass one, an iron one, then one with iron and clay. It will cleave, but the, the clay and the iron cannot mix together. In other words, you'll bake the clay. The iron will be there. It will be strong, but the law will break up. So here are these kingdoms. In fact, the iron kingdom moves straight into another kingdom. The traits of the iron are in the iron and the clay. Very important that we catch this this evening. So what does this mean? Who are these people? Who are these kingdoms? Who are these leaders? We've been given a head start by Daniel when he says in Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. To understand where we fully come from here, we have to go back to the book of Genesis chapter 10. And in the book of Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 and 9, we talked earlier of the flood. 
Noah gets into the ark, they, him, his sons and their wives, they eat them. The flood comes, it rests on the ground. And after the flood, Noah, his sons and their wives come out of the ark. Noah's sons are called Shem, Ham and Japheth. And Shem, Ham and Japheth, Japheth, they come out of the ark with Noah. But Ham, Ham is cursed for uncovering his father's nakedness. And here's the thing, Ham has a son called Cush. You'll read him in the, in the prophecies of Ezekiel. you read Cush means the northern parts of Africa going right down into Arabia. But coming out from there, Cush has a son called Nimrod. And I'm sure we're all familiar with this Bible character. Genesis chapter 10 and verses 8 and 9 says, And Cush begot Nimrod. And he began, began, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Notice this. Cush began to be a mighty one in the earth. Or, sorry, Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. Verse 9. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Nimrod is a mighty hunter before the Lord. If you go into the Jewish writings like the, the, the Jerusalem Targum and other writings like that, break-offs of, of men's uh, commentary on the Old Testament scriptures, what they think is almost inspired, and you go into them, that verse where it says Nimrod began to be a mighty hunter, that he's a mighty hunter before the face of the Lord. You know what it says in, in, the, in the, the Targum? It says that, that Nimrod said, Adhere not to the judgments of Jehovah, but adhere to the judgments of Nimrod. Now let me say it again. Nimrod says, Adhere not to the judgments of Jehovah, but adhere to the judgments of Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter before God. It means he was a tyrant in the face of God. And it also means that he hunted down men who would not accept his ways. He hunted down men who would not accept his religion. We need to notice this because you're going to see traits of this as we go through the scripture here. Right till this very day. And you'll see it this evening. Nimrod, this mighty one, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Verse 10 of Genesis 10 tells us then, And he began, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Notice the name, Babel. That's the first names for Babylon. The head of gold. His first, and his kingdom was called Babel. And we're told it was in the land of Shinar. Now your verse will say a bit more than that. I'm cutting this down for time's sake. The land of Shinar. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, And the whole earth was of one language. This is very important that we catch this. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Genesis 11 and verse 4 tells us, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Notice that. Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And they began to do, and and this they begin to do, and nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. The Lord looked at the Tower of Babel. We have an artist's impression. If you just put it up for me there, Craig, the artist's impression. The Lord, the Lord says there is a tower. This is an artist's impression. Probably nothing like the real Tower of Babel. This is what they, they think maybe it's unfinished if you see that. They're still in their building. And the Lord says they're building a temple. They're building a tower to heaven. In other words, works. Salvation by works. Satan says, I will ascend to the throne of God. I will ascend into the clouds. 
You can read that in Isaiah chapter 14. The I am's or I wills of, of Satan. And here we have them building a tower, as it were, as though they would go to heaven. The Lord looks upon it, says they're one language, they're one speech, they're under one uh, religious organization, and they're under one monetary system, and they've got everything that they need to build up. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 8 says, So the Lord scattered them abroad. You see, all of the, all of the sons and their, and their families were starting to separate at this time. But at this time, a lot of them were together. And Shemites were there with the Hamites. And God wanted that separation between them. For out of Shem, he would call his people. And here he has to keep a separation. A separation between the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous. Friend, that's what God does in that day if you're not saved. We're told God came down and scattered them abroad up from, the fa- from thence upon the face of the earth. In verse 9, therefore, the name of it is called Babel or Babylon. The name of it is called Babel. And the word Babel or the name Babel means confusion. God came down and scattered it. God came down and smote it. God came down in power and glory. Something I want to tell you about Nimrod before I go any further. Notice the traits of this, and you can use your own thoughts in this. I don't think I'll have to spell it out to you. Nimrod was married to a woman called Semiramis. And Semiramis was a wicked woman. And their marriage went on for a lot of years, and Nimrod died. And he was ruling this kingdom, and Nimrod died. In fact, there's books that tell us that Nimrod was killed by Seth, if I remember right. Well, it's true or not, I don't know. But Nimrod died and his wife Semiramis got the people to worship Nimrod and said he was the son. They said he was the son God. Then all of a sudden Semiramis finds herself with child. And she gives birth to a child and they call him Tammuz. And Tammuz means the refining fire. And what they done was they started to have, you ever see the firewalkers? And the firewalkers, they walk across the cones of fire. They started sacrificing their children into the burning flames of fire. Sacrificing children unto their gods. Nimrod, we're told as he dies, they worship the sun. She is called the goddess of the moon. And we're told that after this, when the child is born, they call him Tammuz. She then claims that this child is Nimrod in flesh. Reincarnated Nimrod. And the worship of mother and child started to come into the world. Hello. The queen of heaven and her son. Samaramas, the pagan queen... When God scattered the people, things changed what they worship. They worship the same way. These traits came right down through other kingdoms. But they changed names. For example, in Rome, she was worshipped as Vestas and Venus. In Egypt, she was worshipped as Oasis. In Greece, she was worshipped as Aphrodite. And in Babylon, she was worshipped 
as Astarte or Ashtaroth. You're in the scriptures, you're talking about Ashtaroth, your God Ashtaroth. And this woman was called the Queen of Heaven. They started the baker cakes, started the bake wee buns for Hello, hot cross buns for the Queen of Heaven. She was deified. And the place then is called Babylon, which was Babel. And out of it came what's known as the Chaldean mystery religions. Even goes as far as India. Goes all around the world then. And they worship just under a different name. Remember, these come down through into our picture that we had of this great image. Nimrod's kingdom was one people. Nimrod's people had one language. And they had one religion. And they had one financial market. Babel or Babylon brings us then back into our reading, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel says, this is the, the kingdoms that are to come to Nebuchadnezzar. The gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, the iron and the clay. A unified nation and kingdoms would follow after it. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. We're then told from, he says in verse two, he says in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. In chapter three and verse one, we're told then that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof was six cubits. So six by six by three score. Six, six, and six. There's people looking for this to come away in the future. It's already here. It's already been here. And he builds this and it's a golden temple or golden idol, sorry, golden spire. And he tells the people when they hear the music they are to come and bow down and worship. Gold becomes a monetary standard for the world. That's why gold, Fort Knox, uh, all the gold, a country has gold. They went and they left the gold some years ago and they traded, of course, then in, in, in phantom money, just in numbers back and forward. It was all phantom money. But now, in the papers, they're telling us again, they're now trying to build the gold reserves back up again. That they're going to start to go back to the old way of gold reserve, gold bullion. And this is where the gold reserve came from, from Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. So briefly, let me tell you what these kingdoms were. We know that the gold kingdom was the Babylonian kingdom. The silver kingdom which came after it, and you can read on into Daniel chapter 5, you read of Darius, of the Medes and the Persians. The silver kingdom was Daniel chapter 5, when Darius had the banquet for all the princes and the lords of 127 provinces. And as he had those 120, sorry, 120 provinces, when he had the, the banquet for them, he used the, the, the temple uh, vessels to eat and to drink and to make fun of the things of God. And the handwriting came on the wall, meaning, meaning, to kill you, Farson. That's been wedding the bounces and I found one thing. Daniel says, this night your kingdom will be handed over. And Darius or Darius came, the silver kingdom, and took over. Just like that. What about if you were wed tonight in the balances? Would you be found wanting? What if it came like that tonight? Are you saved? Are you right with God? 
The silver kingdom is Darius of the Medes and the Persians. The brass or the belly and thighs of brass was Alexander the Great. He came and he conquered and conquered right over as far as India. And he is the brass kingdom that we see. And then the iron kingdom who came and conquered straight after that was pagan Rome. The Roman Caesars, the Roman emperors. And then we come to the legs and the feet, part of iron and part of clay. Which becomes the Holy Roman Empire. Iron is a military strength. He says the Iron Kingdom is a strong kingdom. Pagan Rome were a strong kingdom. They conquered right through up until Hadrian's Wall in England. Right as far over as the Middle East. Right down into Africa. The whole lot, they conquered a mighty area. They were mighty. And that trade of the Iron Kingdom came right into the feet. And it mixed with the clay, but it will not stay. Cleave together, we're told. Constantine, the Roman Caesar, claims to be converted to Christianity. We'll leave that for another night. <laughs> claims to be converted to Christianity. Says he sees the sign of a cross in the sky and says, In this sign conquer, and he becomes a Christian. But by this time the pagan Romans are worshipping Semiramis and Nimrod and all of these gods, the mystery religions. And so bringing Christianity into a pagan country, of course, he tries to keep the people happy. And he unites the two of them together, paganism with the Christianity. And a great apostasy happens in Rome. A great falling away happens in Rome. And they start to worship other gods. The Queen of Heaven. Start to worship relics and saints. There's a great falling away, a great apostasy. This means then it's the second stage of our kingdom from the legs of iron to the feet of iron and clay. And that iron still runs right through. In 800 AD, Charlemagne, Charles the Great he's called, Charlemagne the king of the Franks, was crowned by Pope Leo III. On Christmas Day, 800 AD. And he called him Emperor Augustus, the Holy Roman Emperor. He said that he was the the military iron. He was the strength of the military might. Philip II of Spain was given hegemony by a papal bull. Saying that wherever he went to conquer, he could claim it for him to be king, but to put the flag down for the papacy. When the pagan Rome came, the deadly wound of pagan Rome rose up. It was healed again and uprose papal Rome. And here we have someone in a national aspect, but here we have behind it the spiritual aspect. I don't know if you heard this before, but there's more. We find that this went down to King Philip II of Spain. He's the man who sent the Spanish Armada to try and conquer England. And when he sent the Spanish Armada to try and conquer England, England, Rome says that if he took, if he took England, then he would have it, but he'd give him all the gold that was in South America. 
the newfound land and so forth. And he says that he would be the Holy Roman Emperor. You have hegemony over all the earth, he says. And so then we, it goes on down, we find others who try and take this up. And they go and they swear allegiance to the Vatican. We think of Napoleon Bonaparte who then broke that. And in 110 AD, Napoleon Bonaparte went in and sacked the Vatican, but then set it back up again. We have the Kaiser of Germany tried to set up then this great world empire with the same backing. And then came the wicked and cruel Adolf Hitler. All of these men had the same backing. After the devastation of the Second World War, in 1945, the Pope launches what is known into Europe as the Christian Democratic Movement. You hear of German Chancellor today, Angela Merkel, or Angela Merkel as we would call her. And Angela Merkel, she's from the Christian Democratic Party. It's a nationalist uh, Catholic party. And she is figureheading this very movement. In 1945, the Pope launches it. In 1950, Jean Monnet and Paul Henry Speck, who were devout Roman Catholics, started up the European iron, steel and coal industry. And they started it up, and in their words, they said it was for a re-Catholicized Europe. We're starting to dig deep now, aren't we? In 1957, the common market starts up. We have what's known as the EEC. I'm sure we all remember it. It's a European economic community. But it started under what was known as the Treaty of Rome. In 1973, Prime Minister Edward Heath, British Prime Minister, signs the Treaty of Rome. And he lies to the British public and he tells them that there was no threat to Britain's sovereignty. He says there is no threat. It's just a community here and it's a nation here and we're going to trade one with another. No threat to our sovereignty. You notice over the years how this progresses, how the net closes, how the fisherman, as it were, pulls in with his rod. In 1990, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, Soviet bloc of Russia were then able to come in under this also. In 1992, the Maastricht Treaty is then formed, which we now call the European Union. It's the same thing, step by step. It's the European Union. The Pope then canonizes the founders, Jean Monnet and Paul Henry Spack. He canonizes them. And they're the ones who started the iron, the steel and the coal industry. The Pope canonizes those who have brought it this far. Those who have started it and drawn us in. Britain is in dangerous water. Britain is in terrible territory. The Lisbon Treaty now affects you and I. Let me tell you how it affects us. First of all, Parliament buildings, the mother of Parliaments, the British Parliament, has become like a council. The British Parliament has become like a borough council. 
You know, we go, we have the borough council. I'm not sure of the names I'm here, maybe Craig Alvin or whatever. But they have a, a certain amount of leverage, a certain amount of power. But they take all of their orders from the main body. They are, they're overseers just of that council. And the Britain is now fast coming into being a borough council. In other words, Europe has went in and hollowed out the whole of the parliament buildings at Westminster. And they have very, very little, very little powers left. In fact, they have to go to Brussels. They ask for everything. Secondly, our monarch, the Queen. The Queen is now going to become just a citizen of Europe. Do you know she's the Queen? Queen of Great Britain, Northern Ireland and the Commonwealth. But to them, she's just a citizen of Europe. Thirdly, the European Union law is enforced by the European Police Office. The European Police Office has the powers and will have the powers coming soon that they can say, well, such and such in Northern Ireland, they have, been, uh, they have, have not been charged, but they ha- it's been told that they have done such and such a thing. And they'll be able to come over to you and imprison you and where our law tells us that we are innocent until proven guilty. They put you in until you can prove your innocence. European law. And again, the European army. Already there are 60,000. 60,000 in the European army. And Britain has given many of our troops over. You know what this means? That our army will be directed from Brussels. The European monetary system, the euro. Maybe we could put a sign the, the picture up of the euro. We all know what the euro looks like. I want to look at a few things as I close. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 3 says, And I saw a woman on a scarlet beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This is outside. This is outside the European Parliament in Brussels. And in Strasbourg there's more. And I saw a woman sitting on a coloured beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Let me tell you something about the name Europe. The name Europe comes from a woman called Europa. And Europa, we're told, that she was a Phoenician high-ranking woman. The story goes that Zeus, the god Zeus, comes and he disguises himself as a bull. Disguising himself as a bull, he carries her away to Greece. In fact, he carries her away to Crete. And when he carries her away to Crete, there he rapes her. Here we have the woman on the beast or the bull. The word Europe or Europa comes from two Greek words. The first word is eurus, which means broad or wide. Eurus means broad or wide. And up or up means face. The face. So Europe means the broad face of the earth. Europe carrying away with this woman on board is the broad face of the earth. That's their kingdom. That's what they're building. This woman believed to be Europa is another name for our lady Samaramas. She is called Astarte or Eisteroth as I said. And the Romans worship her as such. We have the, the flag of Europe. 
Here we have the flag of Europe. You'll see this in churches that don't know what they're putting up. Having a clue what they're putting up when they put that up in the church. If I seen that in the church, I'd walk back out again. This blue background with 12 golden stars. Now these are nice and upright, these stars. But we're going to show you something in a moment. The blue here comes, what is believed, from the visions of Fatima. Fatima, in case you don't know, in 1917, there were three shepherd children were in a field and they said that Mary, the mother of our Lord, appeared unto them and says, if you consecrate Russia for me, then you'll be able to dominate basically the whole world. And that gave, and that, that gave the, 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 the Kaiser and later on uh, Adolf Hitler the, the vision to go and attack Russia. Because of these visions. And these children said that she spoke many things onto them. And these children were locked away in rooms. The blue was the sky. And it says it is the sky from which she will come. And so we have here this woman, uh, Europa. She's gone now. We have Europa on a bull, carried away. With this blue flag... This blue flag here is, as I said, the blue army of what's known as the Visions of Fatima. The 12 stars, we're told, if you can put that other one up with a woman on the moon, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Catholic Church say this is a vision of Mary, but the woman in here is not the church because it, it gives, because it gives birth, it says to the child. This woman here, not this woman, the woman in Revelation we speak of is the woman Israel where Christ came from, scattered through the nations. The twelve tribes, the sun, we're told in, in the book of Genesis, we're told of Joseph who comes with the dream of the sun and the moon and all the, all the brothers of stars who will bow down to worship him. And the twelve tribes were the twelve brothers. The sun and the moon were the parents. And here Europa was the moon goddess. And you see her standing here. Let me go on. What about the national anthem? Has Europe a national anthem? Yes, it has. It hasn't really used it as such yet. They've actually reworded it. But the English version, it was written by a man called Friedrich Schiller. And this is what's known as the poetic English version to fit in with our English words. Listen to the words as I tell you what they are. It says, Joyful spark of hope and glory. Unity with the divine. Drunken under fire. Goddess, we approach thy shrine. The magic shall unite ever those nations that which were not, every mortal becomes one, and your rule shall not be forgotten. European Union National Anthem. Notice what it says, joyful spark of hope and glory, unity with divine, drunken under fire, goddess, we approach thy holy shrine. Listen to what the Bible says, Revelation chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Calls her mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Prophecy fulfilled 
by the people ruling Europe. Let me go on to another one. Show the one of the poster, please. The, this, the last, yes, that one, thank you. See this poster? Again, shows the Tower of Babel. Notice what it says here. This was our official poster. This was Europe's official poster. It says, Europe, many tongues, one voice. What did the Lord say about Nimrod? They're of one language and of one speech, and they're one people. Europe, many tongues, one voice. We see, this is their poster now. This is the made up one. We see what was an, an image of the Tower of Babel. Unfinished. And notice the stars. You will see 11. The 12th is behind the, t- the tower. And notice this. This is the, the, the stars are turned up on the end. And this is the star shine of the horned goat of Lucifer, Baphomet. And this is Europe. And the Irish Republic said yes. And Holland said yes. And Czech Republic said yes. And we hadn't a choice. We were brought into it. There's a, and one more picture, I think, of the Strasbourg building. Notice this. Now look at the buildings. Can you see them? Almost exactly the same. There's actually murals in there of a woman riding a beast. And on the coin of the euro, a euro coin, here we have the woman riding the beast. Here we have again another one of the woman riding a beast outside Brussels and Strasbourg. That's what our government has brought us into. But here's the good news. Jesus is coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's going to wreck it all. Just as God came down in Nimrod, Jesus is coming down again. Praise his name. Let me show you this as I close. Daniel chapter 2 and verse four, 44, please. Let me go to 34 first of all, please. And he says, And thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them in pieces. Let your eye go to 44. And whereas thou sawest the iron mixed with merry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, notice that, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. Praise his name. Isn't that great to know, isn't it? Praise his name. It shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. The stone kingdom, a stone cut out without hands, started with the little gathering in Egypt and formed into the nation of Israel. But the the full implementation of the kingdom is when Christ returns for his redeemed people. And when Christ sets up his kingdom and his glory will fill the whole of the earth. And all of this trait will be smashed. It will be all over.